Well, good morning. Grace and peace to each and every one of you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we offer a special welcome to our guests and visitors uh, this morning <laughs> and, uh, and to everyone who is here. Thank you for being here this morning. As Jeff mentioned, today we are continuing our sermon series called Seeing is Believing, unpacking the miracles that are documented in the Gospel of John, the seven miracles that are recorded there. And if you want to follow along in your Bible this morning, we certainly encourage you to do so. The good news is John is one of those books in the Bible that are uh, pretty well known. And so it's the fourth Gospel listed in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, if you go to Acts, you've gone too far, back up and, and go to John. And so for those of you who are visiting us today or maybe been out of town over one of the past couple of weeks, we want to let you know that all the sermons in this series are up on our website. And you can play those in both video and audio format. And we encourage you, whether you're driving or just sitting at home and um, want to understand the uh, first couple of miracles that we unpacked, um, those are up there on the website, and we certainly encourage you to take those um, opportunities to view those and, and listen to those. Um, but for now, uh, here's a recap of where we, where we started. We started uh, with Pastor Brian in the first week of this series, and he, and he talked about the Gospel of John um, and the reason why the Gospel of John was written. And so we start by the sermon series of the Gospel of John going to the very end of the Gospel where it says this, and, and Winton, we've got a slide for this. If you would put it up on screen, John chapter 20, verses 30, says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then verse 31 says, but these, meaning these miracles, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So that reminds us that John was a first-hand witness to all these miracles that were recorded in the Gospel. And he recorded them for our benefit, so that we too could experience them and believe them that Jesus is our Savior. Also in that first week, we went into that first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John. The wedding at Cana where Jesus changes water into wine. And here Jesus demonstrates that His glory and He strengthens His relationship with His disciples and their faith in Him. That is the first real miracle that the, the disciples have witnessed. And um, they then believe that Jesus uh, is the one to be following. Last week, Jeff Pitzer preached an amazing message on the second miracle that was recorded in the book of John. But he also provided some context for why we can believe these miracles in the Bible as they are recorded are actually true and actually happened. Talking about how the fact that the Bible, the Gospel of John in particular, was written so close to the time when these events actually happened. And that there are numerous transcripts and, and copies of the Gospel of John out there that all kind of reinforce each other. Many more so than standard literary documents that we just plainly accept as fact. So we too can accept the writings as they exist in the Bible as truth because of the time frame with which they were written and the number of uh, reinforcing copies of the manuscripts that exist. Jeff also then went on to preach in the second miracle that is recorded in the Gospel of John. And that is the, um, the fact where Jesus was back in Canaan 
and the royal official approached him and asked him to help heal his son, who at that point was in Capernaum, a town very far away. And this reminds us that Jesus, who did heal that official son, by the way, Jesus' miracles can transcend time and space. So Jesus doesn't have to be right there to heal you. He can heal you from a distance. He can provide a miracle from a distance. And today we're going to be talking about the third miracle as documented in the Gospel of John. And this is about healing the invalid by the pool at Bethesda. It's a very common story. And before we pack into that miracle, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that the words I speak this morning and the meditation of all of our hearts will be true to your word and bring honor and glory to you and help us to develop a greater understanding of you and your will for our lives. Amen. Well, I have to admit that preparing for the sermon this morning was a little more challenging than I thought it would be. Preparing for a sermon is always a bit of a challenge, more so than your standard public speaking engagement. That comes with its own set of challenges, no matter what you're doing or where you're doing it. Public speaking is not necessarily an easy thing to do. But when you're preaching, there's an additional responsibility that goes on you because you want to make absolutely certain that you are treating God's word with the respect that it deserves, that um, what you are saying uh, really reflects what is in the Bible and what is truth, and that even as you are sharing your own personal insights into what is happening in the Bible, that those, per those, those insights align with biblical truths and also our theology um, of, of our religious beliefs. But in the end, God is ultimately responsible for the message that you preach as a sermon. And so that takes a lot of the pressure off, right? And this sermon's about miracles. So what could be easier to talk about than that, right? I personally am someone who just feels God's presence every day in my life. And so preparing a sermon on miracles should be a slam dunk and a lot of fun to do, right? You pray about it, you read the scripture, you unpack the miracle that Jesus has today, which is gonna be absolutely awesome to hear, and then you add some personal reflections about the miracles that you've personally seen in your life. Voila! Sermon, you've got it done. The challenge is this. When I started reflecting on the miracles that I experienced in my life, which I, up to this moment, had recounted as very many, and started to think about which ones I would actually want to share, I realized that they didn't quite measure up to the miracles that we're hearing in the Bible, right? Not even close, quite frankly. And that caused a little bit of concern for me. And in fact, if I'm honest, I have to admit that there have been times in my life where I've prayed for miracles and they haven't happened. I prayed for people who were terribly sick to get better and it didn't happen. I prayed for people to be healed of their depression and it didn't happen. And so as I continued to go through this um, and dig a little deeper into various study resources about miracles to just say, what, what is all this about miracles? I discovered that there's actually a pretty healthy debate among Christian theologians as to whether or not miracles still happen 
or if all the miracles that have been recorded in the Bible that we are now kind of in a period of pausing and miracles um, you know, outside of those recorded in the Bible aren't necessarily happening. So some theologians on this side of the conversation or the debate, if you will, believe like many of us do that miracles happen each and every day. They are all over the place and we just have to keep our eyes open and our hearts open to see them. Other theologians say this. They say with absolute certainty that God no longer performs miracles outside of those recorded in the Bible. And they even give a pretty reasonable argument as to why that is. They say that since all the miracles in the Bible have been recorded and fully documented, they serve their purpose. And there really isn't a need for any more miracles because we can believe based on the ones that are recorded in Scripture. And they furthermore contend that if somebody refuses to believe in Jesus based on the miracles that are recorded in Scripture, that from a practical standpoint, another miracle isn't really going to make a difference. If they've decided not to believe, they're just not going to believe. And they also further argue that if miracles continued today, that they really wouldn't be miracles anymore. They'd start to become commonplace. And we just say, well, okay, then, okay, that happened last week or the week before, and now it's happening this week again. So is it really miraculous after all? It gets a little troubling, right? But they insist that, um, that, that that's the way miracles go. And the bait, debate goes back and forth, and these are very smart, very learned people, and they are very strong in their faith. And after a while, it really starts to turn your head around. And you're like, wait, 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 what? You know, here's what I believed about miracles, and, and now I'm really starting to question what um, I believe. And, and after a while, you just kind of want to throw your hands up in the air and say, enough. Somebody say what's true, and I will believe it. And that'll be that. But unfortunately, as someone preaching a sermon, you're expected to have a little more conviction than that. <laughs> And so it was incumbent on me to dig a little deeper and keep digging and praying and sorting all this out. And so after much continued prayer and study, I found that the apparent disagreements about miracles came not from whether they happen or occur, but how we label a miracle a miracle and how we define miracles in the first place. Because when you think about it, we tend to throw the word miracle around pretty casually, right? Sometimes we do this in jest, like when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, right? When our spouse says, I was wrong. <laughs> when our children say, thank you. <laughs> miracles, right? We say that in jest, but we call those miracles. Other times we do it in all sincerity. Anytime we see God active in our lives, when we see God answering prayer or opening doors for us or providing protection or provision for us, we call that a miracle. Someone says, I needed a certain amount of money. I was in financial trouble and all of a sudden a check came in the mail for just the amount of money that I needed. Miracle, right? 
Or you're going to the store and you're in a super hurry and it's pouring rain outside and all of a sudden a parking spot opens up right by the entrance to the store. Miracle, right? A mom is off in a room and senses something wrong in the room next to her and runs in there just in time to keep her toddler from sticking a metal object into an electrical outlet. Miracle. Or you're thinking about a friend and you're praying about them and you know they're going through a tough time and just then the phone rings and it's that friend on the phone and you get to talk to them and encourage them and uplift them. Miracle. Now we call these things miracles. But if you want to compare these to the miracles that we are going to talk about today and have talked about last week and we'll talk about next week, they don't compare at all. And in fact, what they really are are acts of providence, not necessarily miracles. So what's the difference? Okay, Webster's Dictionary, and we've got this up here, defines providence this way. The foreseeing care and guidance of God or nature over the creatures of the earth. That's providence. And if you spell capital P, providence, it actually refers to God himself. That's the second definition up there. Especially when conceived as omnisciently directing the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. So in short, providence is God watching over us. Okay, providence is God answering our prayers, guiding us through the Holy Spirit, and orchestrating natural events. God's providence may also be served by each of us as we are called to serve others. Providence. A miracle, on the other hand, is a supernatural event which has no human explanation at all. It's an event that actually suspends natural law while God steps in and does something miraculous. In our Christian faith, God is the provider of the supernatural event. And it usually happens at the fulfillment of a prophecy that was pre-stated or at the command of some teacher that God is elevating into a position of authority. So in other words, the natural order of things stops, God steps in and acts, and then steps back out, and things keep moving their natural course. So here's a silly but simple example to kind of explain the difference between um, providence and a miracle. If I'm walking down the sidewalk in the city of Chicago, where they do lots of constructions on buildings all the time, and a bricklayer overhead drops a load of bricks right over me, and all these bricks fall on all sides of me, but not a single brick touches me, that's providence. That's God watching out for me and providence. Now, if one of those bricks is coming straight towards my head and right before it hits, it makes a 90 degree turn and shoots off to the side and falls to the ground, that is a miracle. The natural law of gravity has been paused, suspended, God stepped in, and a miracle happened. The same outcome, a load of bricks fell and I didn't get touched, but one's providence and one is a miracle.
But the real distinction between providence and a miracle lies in their purpose. And that's what I want to talk about today. Providence is a natural extension of being in relationship with an all-knowing, all-caring, all-loving, all-powerful God. Because God loves us, we see His loving hands in every aspect of our daily lives. And we also have the amazing privilege to be His loving hands to others as we serve them in our daily lives. We see God's providence in our lives because we already believe. And we, when we believe, we start to see. Miracles, on the other hand, are used to demonstrate the presence and the power of God and to provide clear proof that the person performing the miracle has God's authority. Miracles are that person's credentials to act in um, God's capacity as God's messenger. And as you look at the various miracles performed throughout all of Scripture, they are always performed to fulfill a prophecy, to glorify God, or to uh, respond to the command of a teacher that was um, uh, acting in God's proxy. So the miracles um, in, in Scripture were not necessarily performed for believers, but they were performed for non-believers so that they would come to believe. Okay? So we as believers may not necessarily see as many miracles as we think. That doesn't mean wonderful things don't happen that put chills down our spine. They aren't necessarily miracles. And the reason why I'm going into all of this is because miracles do form the basis of our Christian faith. We believe because of the, the miracles of Jesus' miraculous conception, right? And his crucifixion and his miraculous resurrection. That is why we are Christians. That is why that we believe. But miracles can also become a stumbling block to both believers and non-believers if we throw the word around casually. So think about it from the perspective of a non-believer and calling such and such a miracle. They're not going to be convinced that God wanted you to have a parking spot right next to the front door of the store. Okay? And, and when we throw that word miracle around casually, we can cheapen the word. And so it's important to understand um, how miracles fit into our Christian belief. And miracles become a stumbling block too to us as believers when we pray for them and we don't receive them. So we just need to remember that miracles are very real, but they serve God's purpose, not ours. So with all that, let's jump into today's miracle in the Gospel of John. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now before we go any further, I'll provide a little cultural context around the pool of Beth 
Bethesda. And some Bibles, and I keep wanting to say Bethsaida because some Bibles call it Bethsaida rather than Bethesda. And um, so whichever, whichever um, name your Bible uses, they are the same place. But the pool was near an underground spring and people would attribute the healing powers of natural spring waters to spirits or angels at the time. So the ill and the disabled would gather by this pool and on occasion the water in the pool would get churned up because the springs would bubble underneath and so you'd have bubbles and ripples in the pools. And the belief was that the first one into the pool after that happened would be healed because an angel had just touched the pool and stirred up the water. And so if you could jump into the pool uh, right after that happened, you would actually be healed. So this is obviously a bit of a false hope um, based on a false assumption. The waters weren't churned by an angel. They were churned by a spring just gurgling underneath it. But people are just hanging out by this pool waiting to be healed because they can be the first one in. And you can imagine a melee that would happen when the water got churned, right? And everybody's throwing elbows trying to get into the pool. So that's, that's the background on the pool and why all these people are laying there. So if you can move on to the next um, verse, Wenton. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. He's been an invalid for a long time. Go back 38 years in your mind. Where were you in your life? I'll do the math for you. 38 years ago was 1982. So here's a couple of interesting tidbits about 1982. Um, me and my wife, Debbie, were 13 years old in 1982. Didn't even know the other ones existed yet. We lived in separate towns. A postage stamp had just increased in price from 15 cents to 20 cents in 1982. That happened just a month before. And for those of you uh, in this younger generation, you used to have to lick postage stamps. And in 1982, that's what you did. They had glue on the back of them. You had to lick them, and they were really gross. And you'd stick them on an envelope. Self-adhesive postage stamps wouldn't come around for another 12 years in 1982. Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1982 was a computer because the IBM PC had just been released the year before and everybody was very, very excited about it. Unless you call me biased towards PCs, the Apple II had actually been released several years before, so they beat IBM to the punch on that. So whether you're a Windows or a Mac person, um, temp technically uh, Apple beat everybody to the chase, but that was big news in 1982. AT&T, Ma Bell, remember them? They got broken up in 1982 and divested of all the regional bell companies. A company called Honda started a production of the Accord in the United States in 1982. The Soviet Union and East Germany still existed in 1982. And this was a fun one that I looked up. Late Night with David Letterman debuted on TV in 1982. That's the same year that the Lawrence Welk show went off the air in 1982. So, over the course of the past 38 years, let me just recap this. Debbie and I met. We got married. We lived at 10 different addresses. We raised three kids, all of whom are now out of the house. Well, one's coming back. <laughs> the Soviet Union disbanded. 
Germany reunited and the PC, the internet, the iPod, and the iPhone were all invented. And the list goes on and on. All these things happened over the span of 38 years. But this man's life was at a standstill for 38 years. Invalids during that time period didn't do much. They didn't work, they begged. And this man had been begging for 38 years. And today Jesus encounters this man at the pool. Um, hit me, Wynton. Verse 6. When Jesus saw this man lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Doesn't that sound like kind of a silly question? Who wouldn't want to get well? The man's been an invalid for 38 years. But Jesus doesn't make that assumption at all. He knows that it's easy for us to get comfortable and accustomed to our crutches. He knows that if we really want to get well, we are going to have to get up off of our security blankets if we want to get well. He knows that we may not hear what we don't want to hear in order to get well. And we may not want to do what we need to do in order to get well. So he asks, do you want to get well? Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So remember, first one in gets healed. Everybody else, you're out of luck. That was the belief at the time. So this man indicates that he wants to get well, but unfortunately he's been placing his faith in the wrong place. And he's been waiting there for healing. The next verse says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Pretty interesting contrast, right? Between being obedient to Jesus and to the Lord and being obedient or stuck in the law, right? Jesus says, get up. And the man who's been laying there for 38 years doesn't utter a word. He just obeys and he gets up. He doesn't whine, he didn't complain, he didn't say, what do you mean get up? I've been laying here for 38 years. Don't you think if I could get up, I would? No, he just gets up and, and he obeys. He just obeys. The religious leaders, on the other hand, are too wrapped up in their own stuff. Their rules and their regulations, none of which came from God, by the way, but they don't even see, let alone acknowledge, that a miracle has just occurred. They're far more interested in maintaining the status quo to even see it. So the question for us is this, how will we respond when Jesus calls out to us? If we want to see God's work in our lives, we too have to be obedient. Back to our reading. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. 
So they asked him, the religious leaders asked the man, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We're going to pause there again. Stop sinning or something may happen to you. So first and foremost, a reminder to us that Jesus cares a lot more about our spiritual health than our physical health. And, and physical healing is just a way to get us right in a spiritual way. But the other thing to remember is this. God doesn't punish us for our sins. He forgives us of our sins. But we have to acknowledge the reality that our sins come with natural consequences. And they are often the reason for some of the emotional and physical and psychological and financial trouble that we get ourselves into. And so, just as it indicated earlier, we may need to change um, to, to have prolonged um, you know, health and, and, and the forgiveness comes, but the change in our life comes when we change how we are and how we act and how we respond to God's forgiveness and God's miracles. And then the last verse tells us this. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. As you look at this, you can look at it one or two ways. The man is tattling on Jesus. Teacher, teacher, he did it. He's the one who told me to pick up my mat. Now I know who it is. Yell at him. Leave me alone. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is this. He went about praising Jesus and told everybody that he found that Jesus had healed him. The Bible isn't really clear. It doesn't really say what the man's motivations are. But once this man knew that it was Jesus who healed him, he testified to it openly and let the chips fall where they may. And this is exactly what the healing was intended to do. It was to make Jesus known to this man and let him testify to it. When God causes miracles, he doesn't want us just to believe in the miracle. He wants us to believe in him and in turn cause others to believe in him. So why do we get into all of this? Miracles versus providence is that a distinction without a difference it matters especially to the unbelievers or to people who have been praying for a miracle and haven't necessarily received one. Do miracles still happen today? I can't say. Is God evident in my life each and every single day? Absolutely He is. And I've seen God do amazing and wonderful things. And I will testify those till the last day comes. Till my last day comes anyway. But try to convince an unbeliever that these things aren't just coincidences and they aren't necessarily going to believe just because you had something that put chills down your spine. Because it doesn't necessarily rise to the level of the miracles that Jesus has provided for us and that God provided prior to Jesus in the Old Testament. <laughs> if you were one of those people that has to be a first-hand witness to a miracle, Look outside. 
Because God's creation was the first recorded miracle and it is visible for all to see each and every day. If you worshiped with us here on Christmas Eve, you were blessed enough to go outside and see the most miraculous sunset ever after worship. I should say, if you worshiped with us Christmas Eve and then stuck around long enough to put away all the chairs and everything else and clean up and then go out, it was beautiful. Purple, orange, pink, every color you can imagine. It was gorgeous. And a stark reminder that God is a God of miracles. Even if we don't get a personal, life-altering, heaven-coming-down, breaking-open-the-ground kind of miracle. God does miracles. And when you're talking to an unbeliever, and I love it when Christians do this, well, the Bible says this. Try to get an unbeliever to believe anything that the Bible says. <laughs> it's almost stupid, right? Well, you need to believe this because the Bible, they're a non-believer. They don't believe that the Bible's true either. Okay? Cre creation's undeniable. Even an unbeliever has to believe when they see creation. So the great commission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations. To go and, once we've accepted our own salvation, Go tell others about it, like this man by the pool did. That's why these miracles were provided for us, to make Christ known and to verify to the people that he was the Messiah. There were messages foretold and, and, and miracles foretold in the Old Testament that only the Messiah would be able to fulfill. And Jesus fulfilled those miracles. They were his street cred, if you will, so that everybody would know that he was the Messiah the Son of God, and they could believe in Him, and we can believe in Him. But once we've accepted our salvation, our job is to go tell others about it so that they too can accept their salvation, just like the man by the pool. And then we need to help them on their discipleship journey as well. This is what God called the church to do. This is what he has called our church to do. And the question we have to ask is, will we, like the man by the pool, be obedient and do it? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are God of miracles. God, we thank you for all the miracles that are documented in the Bible. We thank you for the Gospel of John with so many miracles to share with us. And Lord, whether miracles happen each and every day or whether those are really just your providence for us, we know that you are a God of miracles, that miracles happen, they have happened, and you can make them happen whenever you choose to. Lord, we pray for all the times that you are present in our lives. We pray that you will help us be witnesses to your awesomeness, to your holiness. Whether we receive a personal miracle in our lives or not, we already believe. And so we accept your providence. <coughs> we all look to and hope for 
miracles so that all may believe. And while we wait, help us to be the ones that help others to believe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.